one of the realities of church life is that pastoral transitions happen. So our church is about to go do that. Um, in fact, counting today, I have six more Sundays at Amelia and I have those church. You probably know that. If you don't know that, now you do. And so I got to thinking, what do I want my last six messages here to be about? And what I came up with was this. There are, there are probably more, but I'm going to, we're starting a new series this week. Uh, six words that shape our faith. That gives me a lot of freedom because I can pick any six words. <laughs> but six words that I think shape what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so if you watch these live, if you go back and look at them, six words that would color the way our spiritual walk is focused. And today's word is mission. Because I think one of the things that's happened, I've noticed, just observing and listening and talking to people in the midst of everything that's happened in the last two months, is that potentially, not necessarily true in every circumstance, of course, but this great pause has revealed the fact that we may have missed or be missing a little bit on the purpose of the church and its mission. And the misunderstanding is this. The default understanding of church is that the church exists to meet my spiritual needs. And as soon as we can't gather in a sanctuary and we can't go to small group and we can't do some of the things we've always been doing that meet our spiritual needs, all of a sudden the word is the church is closed. You hear that. We're going to reopen the church. But the church has never stopped being the church. It's been open this whole time. What closing and limiting some of the things that we normally do has done is exposed our reason for even coming to church. People who don't have access to the things they've always had access to are now doing completely other things on Sunday. And say things like, there's no point. We can't worship anyway. So we're not having church until those kind of, that kind of language tells me that we've misunderstood the purpose of church. Now, does worship and Bible study prayer meet spiritual needs? Of course. Of course it does. But it's not to meet, it's not to serve the spiritual needs of individuals. Our mission is more corporate than that. The reason we would even long to come together for worship, the reason we would even long to be in relational connection in a Bible study is because what it is intended to do is equip us for mission. Jesus' great commission was not go gather in a building somewhere. Jesus' great commission to his disciples was not do you have individual faith. His great commission to his disciples was to go into the world and make followers of me. And he said, you will know my followers if I come. You can't do it. You cannot love other people in isolation. So we've been separated. And so that limits, it does create some problems and some obstacles for our expression of mission. There's no doubt about that. You can't do what you've always done. Things are different. But the mission has never changed. The mission has never been personal Bible study. The mission has always been sharing the gospel with other people. 
that the church, and I mean Little C Universal Church, is a part of something bigger than how many people come to a particular place at a particular time. Ephesians 6, 12, 7, and 13 says this about it. When I say something bigger. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil to in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, and, and after you have done everything to stand. So the church. The purpose of gathering, the purpose of worship, the purpose of Bible study is the putting on of the armor of God. It's for the equipping of saints for mission, not to cater to our own spiritual needs. Do I wish we were gathering in a sanctuary and doing what we've always done? Of course. Do I wish that Bible studies would be continuing and Sunday school would be continuing the way it's continued? Of course, because I love being with you and with church people. Just because a building is closed doesn't mean the mission we've been given has ever stopped. It means, in fact, and it's been by force in the last two months, our mission is out there, not in here. This is where you come to practice. This is where you come to get equipped. This is where you come to learn how to live on mission the rest of the week. If church was the expression of purpose, then we would have worship every day for hours. It would be the main thing that we do. But it's not. It's the equipping station. Personal, even personal Bible study is where you learn, where Peter talks about being prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. The purpose of the church is to equip you to live your life of worship and mission out there. And so just because we're not gathered in here doesn't mean you church out there. And so when we make church where we just go to get our spiritual needs met, it's a little bit like going to a restaurant. Hey, I want to go consume some Jesus today and get my fill and be happy and then go about my week like I never went to church. Is an adventure and missing the point. If what you get equipped by here doesn't change your world out there, If what you learn in Bible study doesn't change the way you look at the world, the way you look at your job, the way you look at your neighbor next door, the way you look at your classmates, whoever you come in contact with the week, if what you get here doesn't change there, then you've missed it. If it's all taken so that I can be more spiritual, then you're not following Jesus' own commission to come. Our needs do get met. We do need to be together. It is a part of our faith walk, no doubt. Personal Bible study is an important part of being the equipping and putting on the full armor. You can't do it without it. Just like you can't not eat. Go three days without eating food, you'll be hungry. Go three days without spiritually equipping yourself, and you will not be prepared to stand up the way the verse talks about. And when the moment of evil, when the chance of the choice of indecision comes, you will not be prepared. And guess what? You won't have the armor to protect yourself in that moment. 
So we don't go to church because we have to. We don't go to church because it's the church that makes me happy. I like the color of the carpet or the sound of the guitar. We go to church to be equipped on mission. Even online on Facebook. Not ideal. Not perfect. But most churches are getting seen and heard by way more people than they ever were before this pandemic ever happened. So even in the midst of all this craziness, the gospel is being sent using a technology tool. And that's what it is. It's not church in the way you conceive of church in a gathering sense. And it's in the sense of our mission. Because the mission is on us, not the internet. The mission is on us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The way we demonstrate love to other people. The choices we make when the temptation is in front of us. That's church. That's church on a mission. To take this a little further, turn me to Acts chapter 17. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, partly just because of the way Paul does what he does. It's a famous sermon in the book of Acts. And we're changing sermon series because I got six weeks left. We were in a series on Acts when all this started. I jumped further ahead. Okay, so zoom in. We're in Acts 17. It's one of my favorite of his messages or strategies, or just the way Paul does what he does, starting in verse 16. He goes to Athens. And this is what we read there. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, okay. where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Because all Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The Athenians had social media before there was social media. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. So you are ignorant of, of, this, of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That God, who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man he made all the from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of you own as some of your own poets have said, we are all his offspring. Therefore, 
since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like a god or of silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that Paul left the council, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Okay, so the 19 students, okay. So here you have Paul. He goes to Athens. He goes to this cultural center of the world at the time. Major religious leaders, major philosophical thinkers, Stoics, these people you have to study in world history, all gathered to do nothing but sit and talk about the latest idea. And Paul enters that town. In fact, they made it a thing. What's the latest, coolest thing we haven't thought of yet? What's the most unique idea we can come up with? They sat around and they thought. <laughs> they talked about ideas. They were obsessed with them. Paul walks in and he walks around and he sees idols everywhere to every God imaginable. Everything that anybody worships, they were basically collecting all spiritual religious practices. It, they were so determined to make sure they had every conceivable religious idea. They even had an, all, an altar to the God they didn't know about yet. The unknown God. We're covering all our races. We know about all these, but there might be one out there we don't know about, so let's make one for him. Paul says, hey, he kind of flatters him at first because I see that you're deeply religious. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, though. I see that you've got idolatry figured out. <laughs> but let me, there's this altar over here to an unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And then he proceeds to tell him about Jesus and God who made everything and the God who made all these other things. In fact, says none of these are God because they're made by human skill and design. Let me tell you about the one who's living and breathing and made everything. And he shares the gospel. Another reaction is what you would think it would be in a public square like that. Some of them sneer and go, you're right. But some of them became his followers or followed him and wanted to hear more and were eager to hear more. What's interesting about this passage is the way that Paul delivers the gospel. First thing, a couple things you notice. Number one, he carries it to them. He goes into their town square. He doesn't stand on the side of the street and say, hey, come to our gathering next week over here in Jerusalem. I've got this to tell you about. He literally goes to where they are, goes to the public square where everybody's debating ideas anyway, and brazenly shares the gospel with all these deep thinkers. The gospel is meant to be carried out, not gathered in. The gospel is the world, which means we have to go to the world not hope they one day walk in the building or watch our lives. The gospel, one thing, this other thing the story tells us is the gospel will find its audience. Paul's walking around and he's distressed by all the idolatry because he knows it's not true. He knows these people are missing the truth. And he has this burden that says, I've got to tell them what's going on because they're missing the mark. They're missing the need to hear of the gospel. And so he's compelled. 
And they take him as he starts talking to the Greeks and the Greek God believers already. The Jews people who believe in God anyway. They take him to this cultural center. They go, hey, you need to tell this to those guys. And they take him to a cultural center where he can spread the gospel to people who don't know him. They don't try to get them to come to their meeting. He goes to where they are. And what's interesting is that audience is the central hub of the culture of Athens. And so the gospel found its way from Jerusalem at this point to the heart of Greek culture. The heart of Gentile culture. Paul basically gets to go to the biggest broadcast stage in Athens, Greece, and tell everybody who Jesus is and what he did. The gospel will not be denied the audience that needs it. That's in there. What I love about this passage, I mentioned this is one of my favorites, is the way that he shares the gospel. The way this sermon is recorded in Acts, you don't have him talking about them being sinners. You don't have the little ABCs of how to become a Christian in this, in this passage. You notice that? What he does is he says, hey, I noticed one of your idols is to an unknown God. Let me tell you about it. So he uses something they're already worshiping, a system of their culture they've already set up to communicate in their language. Beyond that, in verse 28, he quotes two of the philosophers. He uses a language they understand, a language they're familiar with, a worship expression they're familiar with to communicate the truth of who Jesus is. He translates the gospel in a way that they can receive it and understand it. He doesn't change the gospel so that they can understand it. He speaks it in their language. There's a big difference. He doesn't change the truth of who Jesus is. He doesn't back away from Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected. He gives them the gospel. But he uses a frame in which they can understand it. And so not only does the gospel need to be carried out, and not only does it, is it can be promised that God, the Holy Spirit is going to guide the gospel to the people who need to hear it, but it's on us to figure out how to present the truth of the gospel, the hope that we have, in a way that those who hear it can connect with it. Nothing in here says, Paul does not walk into the courtyard and say, let me meet your spiritual needs. He walks into the courtyard and says, let me tell you about the God you don't know about. And the truth that you need to hear. And the hope that you need to get. And let me say it in a way that makes you even more curious. It says that some of them wanted to hear even more after he talked about the resurrection. That presenting the truth that everything that they believed in, their system that they're worshiping in in the middle of that courtyard, was wrong. And that Jesus was right. And they were eager to hear more. And not angry that he called them wrong. That the power of God, the gospel, the truth of the gospel will break any idolatry system. And you translate that to today, that leaves us with a couple of things, right? We're scared to tell the truth. Yes, you need a Savior. How dare, you, how, tell, how dare I tell you you're not perfect? Guess what? I'm not either. But the people who need to hear it need to hear the truth of the that the things that we're worshiping in our life, whether it be career or comfort or convenience at a restaurant, 
The things that we're worshiping that were so important to us two months ago that have been erased by circumstances have been erased, but I've only revealed what really matters. And for the church, what's been erased to gather for now in the way that we always have, it's taken convenience out of our faith. If you want to grow during a pandemic, you have to seek after him. You have to go find it. You have to practice it. You have to express it. It's on you. Somebody else is not feeding you how to live anymore. If you want to grow spiritually during this time, then you have to pursue it yourself. Which means you have to still find a way to put on the full armor of God and practice the day of evil does come, when the moment of temptation does come, you will be prepared to take a stand against it. The beauty is we don't do it alone. He says that God is with them. That he will seek after him and that God is with us in this journey. If it was up, if it was up to our practicing of spiritual disciplines in the last two months, how good would how all would we be? If our ability to follow God was based on how much we've read the Bible and worship in the last two months, how strong are our faith be? I'm asking myself the same question. Okay? If it's up when it's not being handed to us every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night in a Bible study, and it's up to our own initiative completely, if it was completely up to our own initiative, how well would we be? Fortunately, it's not up to just us. We've talked about this before. The Holy Spirit partners with us in this mission. The opportunity of carrying the gospel the way Paul did is the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit, not to just try to do all of this under our own strength on top of everything else that we do. That's a recipe for failure. So, if our purpose was misunderstood, that it's not spiritual needs, then this passage reveals our true purpose. To carry the gospel, not just to attract people. How many people can we get here? How many views can we get? How about, how many people have I shared the gospel with? How many people have I given the reason for hope that I have? As a measuring stick. Especially when we're not allowed together. Even if they sneer at us, as some people did with Paul. Even if they might reject our friendship or consider us offensive because we shared the truth. What if the measuring stick was how many times we shared some piece of God's story with somebody else this week? That would be tracking a true mission when Jesus says, go and make disciples. The second part of this is you have to, and this is revealed the way that Paul does this, you have to know those that you are trying to reach. The better you know them, the better you're able to share the gospel. Paul walked around for a while, observed, listened, heard the philosophers, looked at the statues, and went, I see that you're very religious. But let me tell you about truth. If we're going to be on mission as a church, then we have to actually know people who are not in the church. And I don't mean just like acquaintance know them. If we're going to share the truth with them, we have to know them well enough to be able to share the gospel in a language they can understand. 
We have to use the things that they care about, the things that they know about, and the things that are familiar to them, and show them that there's a better thing that they're not aware of yet. But it's more than that. It's not just, how can I manipulate them to believe because I know them really well. It is that the more that I know their story, the more that I know where they're hurting, the more that I know where they are challenged, then the better I'm able to help them apply the truth and the love of God to their life. Think about that. If someone is lonely, in isolation, in a pandemic, then the beauty of the gospel is they'll never be alone again. If somebody is hurting or something's happened in their past, then, that, then the gospel is healing and comfort for those who are hurting. But if I, if I have to know their story to know that's true, to talk to them about the gospel where it will touch their heart the most. Almost none of this happens in a church home. It happens when you're on mission the way Jesus has called us to be. I know I've shared this before, but when Matthew, said, when Matthew says the mission, the great commission was Go and make disciples. It's that verb is as you are going. Make disciples. Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not a go, hey, I have a mission day on Monday, I'm done. It is as you are going, as you are living, as you are breathing, as you are going to work, as you are hanging out with your kids, as you are doing anything that you're going to do that you have to do anyway. Make disciples. Introduce them to the God that they don't know about yet. Maybe during this time of separation, maybe this, in this time where everything is being restricted, that what's really happening is we're being forced as a church, little C, to rediscover the purpose for being the church in the first place. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, this message I'm preaching to myself. Have we been sitting and waiting for you to feed us instead of seeking you? Have we been hoping somebody else will come here to somebody else instead of giving them our reason for hope? Lord, my prayer is that you would speak that message of hope to our hearts again in such a way that we cannot help Fill us with such joy and such grace and such love and such and your spirit to the point where we cannot help but live on the mission you called us to live. In Christ's name. Amen. Have a good week on mission. Follow us the next few weeks as I take another word that shapes our faith and go there. Receive this benediction as you are going. On mission. May you discover joy and peace and grace in God. May He fill your heart in such a way that you cannot help but share that love of God with others. In Christ's name.